coming in? He said he was coming. I thought he was in. Good morning and welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our city tick. And nothing ticks more than Pundit Friday, which we're about to begin here in the WNHC studio with the number one pundits in the media universe running down the headlines of the week. Pundits like the dairy freak goddess of our grassroots radio operation, the woman you can't stop listening to so you kind of run into walls and forget what you're doing because it's just so mesmerized all the time. Babs Rolls Ivy. And that actually was an accurate statement. I have the bruises to show it. Oh, my gosh. The queen That's of quippery so and the quintessence of compassion, the voz hispana nor- publisher, Norma Rodriguez-Reyes. Hola. The flyest news hunter-gatherer this side of Fleet Street. Star New Haven Independent reporter, Marquise Reyes. Happy Friday. The uh, WNHA station manager, Heavy D, Donald Trump, devotee, Harry Droz, the bravest <laughs> man in New Haven. That is not Joe Ugly. What a... Joe Ugly, <laughs> Joe Ugly, our resident professor, has a um, note from his parents and from his principal oh. that he is allowed to show up tardy today without being marked tardy. So he will make up for it with so much insight in the second half. Of I bet he will. Well, what, a, what an interesting Newsweek, folks. And I, I did not bring you here under, I brought you here under false pretenses. We call it the pundits, but this is really a faculty meeting. At the, univer- at the university. Thank you, Harry. I was just, I was like telepathy. <laughs> I was ju- like, I'd like candy. A faculty meeting in the journalism department of the for-profit University of Second Chances and uh, Cast No Stones. And um, I've, gathered you, I've gathered you esteemed journalism professors to really plumb an issue in how we report the news that struck me this morning. We had what I considered a fantastic article in the New Haven Independent this morning written so well that raises questions to me when I look at the reaction to it and to how we should do our job and tackle the most important, some of the most important nuanced issues in our community and then how people read it and to what extent we can contribute to it being talked about in a productive way and to what extent it's good that we can't control how it's talked about. Okay, have I laid the groundwork, folks? You get where I'm coming from? Yes. Okay, so let me just lay out what I thought was so impressive about this story. So yesterday, some ICE agents, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, showed up at the Elm Street Courthouse. This has been a big issue because um, ICE has gotten more aggressive in catching people who are in here illegally. They've started coming to courthouses, and that's proved controversial. The one side says, you shouldn't go there because people come there for other reasons. And if they know ICE agents aren't there, they're not going to come, and they're in our society's less safe because people aren't going to come to have justice. You know, you know so for instance, one guy yesterday who was there for motor vehicle offenses. But he, he had to wonder whether to go in because he's worried, well, then will I be caught for being a deportee? And then he's got new problems building up. This other case, we haven't resolved it. On the other side are the pro-ICE people who say, these people aren't here legally. They're, they're being arrested for other crimes. You've got to catch them where they are. So, they, so that's the backdrop. So they show up yesterday going after someone whom no one would be sympathetic to. They were going there to catch someone who has been convicted of raping a teenage girl. Mm. Okay? Terrible. So he's there for a sentencing and he's coming before a judge, and they're there to try to nab him. And in the end, they didn't even take him home. They, uh, the judge didn't allow them in the courtroom. That's kind of interesting. And uh, he's going to be in detention a couple of days, so he's going to finish the state process, and then they're going to get him. So they're going to get this guy. And in fact, they would have gotten the guy even if they didn't show up at the courthouse. But what was interesting about the story is what their presence meant for everybody else in this ongoing debate. So our reporter, Chris Peake, was on the scene. And I'll tell you just quickly why I thought his reporting was so good. He figured out who they were, even though they didn't have their jackets. 
And he actually stood there and listened into their private conversations and reported on it with the prosecutor about how are they going to proceed. And the reason that was important was because different prosecutors have different approaches to what to do about this. And it turns out the prosecutor in that courthouse is very open to letting ICE agents work with them, although not the way they are in Arizona. He's not volunteering information to ICE to tell them about people they didn't know about. But he's also not doing what some other advocates want and some other prosecutors do, which say, please don't come in the courthouse. Our reporter also got an audience with a judge, private audience you, like. you rarely see with a reporter. <laughs> and he talked on the record about why he doesn't allow ICE in the courtroom. And this reporter also, Christopher Peake, interviewed the advocates and made it real clear they were not defending the guy who raped a girl. They weren't there to protect the guy who's convicted of raping a girl. They were there on behalf of other immigrants who have to make the decision about whether to walk in that courthouse. Okay? So that was clear, and that was clearly stated. And the other thing I thought he did was amazing was he actually found a guy waiting outside who had just, like, got caught with a bad bumper light or something, some motor vehicle fence, and he's deciding whether Which to Which is a classic it. reason why black and yeah. brown folks are stopped. What did he do? Did he just pick a brown guy standing on the sidewalk? I think the advocates might have known him, Harry. Oh, and pointed him out. I'm not sure. Some might have pointed him out. I'm not sure. That's a good question. Because then he's profiling. Like that, he would have said the same thing if it was a black dude. Actually, Professor George has a really good point there. We do profile as journalists. We guess based on criteria that if police use those same reasons to guess, they would be profiling and that's not good. And that's why it's a complicated question. But in any case, he did great reporting and the guy in the end decided to go in and take his chance and that's what's good reporting. So, so I was very excited about publishing the story. The immediate reaction was, how could you, boy, you immigration advocates, you're, you're going to bat for a guy who raped a girl. Now, Which is clearly. Now that's clearly not what they did. <laughs> And the advocates were clear about we're here to talk about other people who might be swept up. And this is about the issue. And what the other thing he did so great in the story is he had the presence in mind, Chris, to interview the prosecutor about why they take the stand they do about cooperating with ICE on certain cases they ask about, but not calling them up to tell them about other people. And he even got an expert afterwards on a short deadline to talk about what the law does and doesn't say. So Chris checked every box. He wrote it in a way that didn't protect one side of the argument. He let you know this guy did rape a girl. So you could read that if you don't agree with immigration reformers. This wasn't an advocacy story. It was an in-depth article. So you could see it, all the information's there, and then you get to decide. But the way the debate quickly veers off is focusing just on the fact that an immigrant raped somebody. What do we do as journalists with that discussion and the way we present information? You know what I think usually happens People don't read the entire story. They only read the first paragraph or maybe even the second. Okay, that part was like the eighth paragraph. There was a paragraph before. I agree with you, Norma. That is one of the issues. So he was careful. He quoted the organizers up top about what the issue was. But Norma's right. But also people, and it's okay. You know, partly as journalists, I don't think it's our job to tell people you should care more about this or that. We should look at it what we think the big issues are and put it in the order we think is right. But one thing I like about web journalism is that right away, people who find something in the eighth graph, the 10th graph, decide that's what they want to talk about. And sometimes they're right. You know, sometimes we didn't think about it. Sometimes they're wrong or sometimes we just disagree. It's, it's because sometimes it's hidden mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle of, you know, the news is really hidden because you get opinion pieces wrapped around the news. Or other times, you know, if you cover a fire, Harry, 10 things happen. And the two different journalists will cover it different ways, and they'll both be right. Absolutely. It'll all be facts. It'll all be news. But that's, one person might true. write, this: a fire took place at a home where the landlord's been cited 10 times for arson. 
or you know bad conditions. Somebody else will write a dog died in a fire that hit that required. 10 and somebody else will write that these firefighters did this heroic thing to save right. this person in the building. And we'll all be right, which is why we need more than one journalism outlet in the community. And as to Harry's point, I think it's very legitimate that someone will go in the tenth graph and say, "Hey, I think the most important thing is the landlord's record," or "I think the important thing is the." So I don't think we should control the news as journalists. We, the, the debate has to go where it's going to go. But we do. But we aren't innocent in that. If we highlight something just to try to get clicks or to get people upset because of prejudice, we can sometimes make it like Fox News does or MSNBC. You know, it kind of gets it off the rails. So, and I think that's that's actually where my thought process is going, which is that so so people watch so much news that kind of supports how they feel about an issue. And I use the word news very lightly because those the folks that they watch are taking a stance, right? Whether it's Fox News or whether you think it's CNN. Like they're 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 taking a certain position, it seems to people. And and so people spend so much time watching talking heads talk about the news and their opinions yeah. about the news. Some of them inform opinions, opinions, some of them not, um, as opposed to actually reading real news where people report. They just report. Although we also do have biases. So we decide Absolutely. every every decision about whether you're talking about the heroic firefighter or the landlord with the bad record. Those are still opinions. But what we try to do as journalists is to try to be honest. We know we have opinions that we think are important, but we're really going to include all sides and all information because the point of the article is to get people talking about it. Not to pretend we're unbiased, but that we're really going to be thorough and fair and get everything in, which Chris did. So Chris got in that the guy raped Exactly. Girl. I think what he, he did probably is closest to what one could consider a fair, which is that he's literally getting not the opinions of people, but literally what they're doing supplemented by some opinion from say the judge and the prosecutor about why they do what they do and in fact this was like if you spent a, a t- semester on a term paper yeah you would you chris did that in one, one, day, one day about what all mm-hmm. the points were but i guess what i feel like is like i do think it's important we don't steer um conversations only where we want them to go but that we're also constructive and we're not trying to play into prejudices and do our best to be fair and persuade him well i don't like where this conversation went I don't think you know, I don't know that but, you can do anything about that, though. Yeah, because we shouldn't hide it. We can't leave out the point yeah, that you, the and person. I don't even think it's about hiding it. I think I think our job is to put the information out there. And it's it's funny that we're having this conversation because I actually spent Monday with or was it Monday, Monday or Tuesday with with young people who are going to be in like a journalism intensive for like the next eight weeks. And so that's Lucy Gelman's art that's journalism, Lucy Gelman's project, art journalism the project. Wonderful. Uh, wonderful. And yeah. so they're they're pitching stories, and so they we did a little exercise where they kind of pitch the story that they're interested in. Timmy, oh, fun! And so one young woman want, wanted to, so she she had she felt a certain way about the way the mayor does her job, and she feels like the the neighborhood that she's from. I forgot to ask her what neighborhood she's from, but that there are things happening in that neighborhood that you know she's like the mayor's visits there, but I don't know how connected she is to what's happening in this particular neighborhood. And so she, what she'd like to do is follow the mayor around for a day. I was like, are you prepared to have your mind changed? Mm. I said, because the mayor is the mayor of the entire city. And when you see her in your neighborhood, that's however many other neighborhoods she's not in that day. Mm. And oh, by the way, she's also head of this African-American Mayor's Association, which has a national mission. And oh, by the way, like she has. So all the people that work for her, the police chief, the fire chief, they're supposed to be the ones addressing those things that you have concerns about. And like, that's why all these people work in city government, right? Like all the issues she has, like that you have, that doesn't mean that your mayor should be invisible to you, but are you prepared to start your day with her at whatever time the mayor starts her day? And we all know that the mayor sometimes isn't in her day ever. <laughs> like someday, hours, 16, <laughs> 16 hours. hours. Uh-huh. And can you keep up? <laughs> that's my question. Can you keep up with the mayor? So are yeah. you prepared to have your, and 
I don't know that because I hang out with the mayor a whole lot necessarily, but I have seen her do her work. And I'm like, and also, you know, we have to start from the idea that you need to know. So those are the types of things that journalists do, right? Like we're the ones who are going to follow somebody around for an entire day. We're going to sit at the courthouse all day and watch, you know, what's happening. Or or I'm going to go and sit in a court case all day and report everything. I remember seeing an article that Chris Peake did when he first got here where he sat in court and they were doing the sentencing of a, a person who'd been involved in a gang murder. And people were so mad that he reported about the personal things that were said in open court about his background and his behavior being an abused really child. Which, was really important which information was, that and was also important crime. to why, like how yeah. they were going to sentence this young man because his lawyer was trying to seek some sympathy for him. Something that said some leniency that said, you know, he had a bad childhood and you should take that into account. But people were legitimately mad about that. So what, they thought we had gone too far, right. that we'd given too much detail. I was like, you could have sat and in court know, the same way we did and got the same information. And sometimes, and your point's good, because sometimes you do leave stuff out. Like yeah, sometimes absolutely. there's not a reason to put in embarrassing things about people that don't advance a public debate. So what I found so challenging about this story, so to me, this immigration story he did this morning is a textbook example of the greatest possible reporting. And one day, getting so many big issues, getting so many sides, while it's happening, jumping on every piece of information you can grab that's hard to get, and then asking the right questions and laying it all out there intelligently. So here I think we have the most amazing possible example of good reporting. And I'm unhappy of where the discussion went. And yet I think, and sometimes it is our fault. Like if we're, if we're just really highlighting something to get people angry that violates people's privacy, that is only shading one side and of an issue. And I think that's unethical if yeah. we're doing that. Like for yeah. me, that's about it. And ethics. sometimes we do it without even realizing because we're human and we have biases. But that's not what you're saying you're doing. I no, mean, no, that's I'm not saying what you're this, doing. No, that's what the challenge is here. Here, I think, I can't imagine a better story than that story. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, because look. And I really don't like look, where you're, it went. You're a grassroots paper, right? And the grass... Over here in New Haven. Got weeds, man. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, is that you're representing this portion of it. So it's okay to have whatever headline you got, as long as you, you have the truth in the article. And that's what he did. It doesn't matter. So it's not about him. It's, it's about not, like it's how. It's not about him. It's about the he people. He did everything look, he's supposed to do. Look, if I, yeah, he did everything he's supposed to do. If I get, if I read the article and I want to complain about something, you can't. Of not course not. Stop so let me tell you that. how I moderate the comments, okay? So I saw where this was going. And a lot of people are talking about the language you used, thought it might have been biased or not in a case, or how could you be championing this case? So it's very important to me as a moderator that those points get out. And I knew because there were so many, that's going to steal the conversation. I did zap some of the comments where I feel like they speak in unkind ways about immigrants or make a general comment. So those people are going to feel like I'm getting sensitive because we should have 20 comments making that same point instead of six. But, you know, so in the end, I would run that story over and over and over again, the way we ran it. But it does make me realize that sometimes we really do have a lot of responsibility for taking debates in the wrong places. And sometimes it's not I know, about but you right don't, or wrong. You're not taking yeah. the debate in the wrong yeah. place. You, yeah. You're not doing that. Other people get to chime in and they take the debate other places. You can't be responsible for people's uh, media ignorance no, or media illiteracy. Or in this case, sometimes I just disagree with them. They, and that's fine. That that's legit and that's yeah. fine. That's yeah. fine too. And I think beyond the moderation that we do that other places don't do, (laughs) like we if if they get a bit hijacked in that sense, I think they're 
ultimately because these stories tend to have legs right in terms yeah. of commenters and so people are going to keep commenting over the weekend maybe even and over the, the rest of the next don't month. represent everyone who reads they, it they don't and but the people who really care about the issue are going to jump in right and so that that is a a yeah. modern conversation on and we the believe and we believe is, in the first amendment more discussion better exactly right but you you can't come in you can't come into our living room and just talk crazy but to be fair immigrant rights advocates are pretty critical of how we cover a lot of this stuff like they didn't like when and we, when, i feel when, like if both sides are a bit critical we've done our job like last that's time, as close like to we fair give as a we lot can get. of space like for instance chris has really tough questions for the prosecutor who does cooperate with ice and he does really good reporting showing that there's reasons not to agree with him but the immigrant rights advocates were the ones who really hated the last time he did that because they felt they gave too much space to the person they considered the bad guy. I mean, many times people who aren't going to want explain. them to have any space. They're, they're not going to want them. And I don't think that's fair. And I'm someone who, you know, is very sympathetic to that that yeah, side too. of the argument. Yeah. But at the same time, just because I don't like what somebody's doing, they still get to explain why they do, why it's that. legal and everything, even if I don't like it. And that's why I'd be kind of a bad activist. Because I really believe that the best way a side you think is good is going to win is if the other side actually gets to fairly say it completely and everybody gets to and hear the way, all sides. You know what? I think that when people's so minds are already made up, okay, they don't get swayed by the argument or by the They're not different points of views <laughs> that they read. They're not going to be swayed because their mind is not open to it. They have already have a certain position on immigration, and there's nothing that could be said or that they could read that will change their you mind. Know, Dorma, I think that's sometimes true unless you do really good journalism. Like, I've even seen Harry Drozo has a strong opinion when he hears about certain individual cases, he thinks there's nuance. I think that's what gets back to me. Like, if I hear a cop who kills a black man, a white cop, if I hear him speak at length of why he did it, I actually think that can let everyone understand better why it happened. It doesn't excuse why he did it, as long as you put it on all sides. But they're going to still we're be not normal. People. We're not the exactly. normal people out and, there. And we're still, we wouldn't be still trying to turn back women's reproductive rights. We wouldn't still be trying to take back the, the rights that LGBTQ people have. If, if there weren't those people who are never going to be swayed, they're never going to, I don't care how good the reporting is, they don't care. <laughs> you know, they're I literally found, like, this I is my opinion. people do. I find that I have great conversations with people I don't agree with where we share why we feel so strongly based on our life experiences and that we do hear each other. I agree that's hard to do that. I, I, think, I the, think you're you getting at when, a minority when, of people. Or though. when they will change their mind when it hits home. Mm. When it's their son, their daughter, their or mama. someone that's right, mm -hmm. that's related to them, that's blood, then all of a sudden they have a change of heart. But also the kind of biased reporting on all sides makes it harder too. If people aren't dumb, they know they're getting only part of the story. It's hard. It does make them harden in their positions when there's this torrent of information that's just aimed at having you think a certain way rather than understand the big picture. And I, I think I'm it's not, hard to I'm not arguing that we escape from that, right? I think we, we are a reflection of our society and we always have been. We've always had publications and news organizations that have taken <laughs> positions, whether they were patron positions, they were paid to take those positions. We've always had this in journalism. I think as modern journalism has progressed, we've tried to, there are those of us who've tried to stay fair. We've tried to do that. Right, but like, not to pretend we're unbiased. No, but not to pretend we're unbiased. And also I think what's, what we're being helped by is there's so much opinion on the internet. So many people get the way in. And people just like, I just want information. I don't want matter. it to be skewed by anybody's opinion about it. I just want information. Like I used to write so many opinion articles and people would read it. And then I came to realize now with the modern internet, 
No one cares who I think you should right. vote for. Yeah. But because nope. so many, everyone gets the way in. They kind of care like what you found out about. Absolutely. The like the thousands of people that are running for governor of Connecticut. Yeah. I don't care which one you like, even though you're my friends. I trust you. So if you say somebody's, I'm going to still go check them out. I'm going to give them a bit more credence than just what they're and that's, telling that's me. That's a great example. Which I think is important. And but I, I need information. I need information. I don't need people I don't know's opinions about these people. I, I need information about what they say they're going to do and what they've done. And I love that. But these I, folks have time to, the people that need information, it's because they have time to delve. look at the information. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have your common people out there, the, the, like the everyday folks out there that have two jobs, you know, that have a lot of issues going on in their family. They don't have time but normally to they still read spend and to of, do all this other stuff. But, so many times they do trust you know, yeah. whoever. whoever says what. Yeah, mm-hmm. whoever Although says Norma, that. Although, there's an average eight to 10 hours a day people are spending in front of screens, even when they're working. But they're hard. getting information that somebody else has yeah. vetted for them, like Facebook. Like Facebook's algorithm is telling yeah. you this is what your news is today. And this, and so it's, you know, you might get some actual news articles, but a lot of them are opinion pieces from right or left wing organizations and memes. Like people are getting their information through memes, so they're just <laughs> reposting it, right? So like, and so you can, and as someone who has found, fell down, like the, the social media rabbit hole many a day, you're like, Lord, I just lost 30 minutes of my life. I know. Never getting that time back. And you never get it back. So (laughs) I'm going to like, if I'm on Facebook, I might not jump off Facebook to go read the Washington post from cover to cover or the New York times from cover to cover because, Oh, I just lost an hour on Instagram looking at cute dog photos. I don't like it. I got to tell you heaven for me. It's like, cause I can't be on the internet. Or electronics from Sunday on Friday to Saturday. Which is when that Saturday good. Times arrives yeah, with the Sunday sections, like, and I can go cover to go. We spent my wife and I spent hours. Y'all even do the crossword, like well, they the crosswords afterwards. Have to write. Yeah. Well, anyway, you are here in the news and the filter <laughs> on Pundit Friday on uh, WNHH, your home for community radio, one hundred three point five FM, live streamed, newhavenindependent.org, broadcasting live from downtown New Haven. And you're also listening in on a faculty meeting of the journalism department <laughs> of the uh, for-profit University of Second Chances and Cast No Stones. I got a- Second Chances and Cast. We should get a, a t-shirt with that on oh, it, Paul, and put it on the website for you know, I, that. And now that I got all of you esteemed journalism professors here, I have another journalism question for you. This week, uh, Marquisha Ricks wrote a really interesting story in our um, in the Independent that days later, people are still commenting on. She was up at this capital, she meaning you, Marquisha. Um, there was a some other Marquisha. The <laughs> state of Connecticut has done some interesting research that I think is becoming a, a standard for the country to look at this whole racial profiling debate and get hard numbers. And then they brought some people who have been dealing with the issue for a long time, like Bill Dyson, a retired state rep, and then Robin Porter is at the forefront of the debate now. And they had a, a data filled but personal also story fleshed out forum at the Capitol during the middle of a session when a lot of reporters are up there, a lot of people. And Marquisha was the only person who covered it. How did you come to cover it and why were there no other reporters there? And what does that say about our discussion about race and racial profiling? I will say that uh, the House was in session, so yeah. <laughs> that, that probably played a role. Robin Porter actually had to run back and forth from the LOB to the um, Capitol building. building yeah. yeah, the legislative office building to the Capitol building to go vote because uh, the, the bell would be ringing while she's trying to have this conversation about pr- racial profiling. Um, but, you know, it was something that was sent out as a press release uh, among folks, among reporters. So it wasn't it wasn't some hidden thing that n- nobody knew was happening. Um, but it not only were, was I the only reporter there or w- there was one other, um, I think the Fox News station popped in for a second. 
Um, but there really wasn't very many people in the audience to to hear about this issue, which I thought was interesting in light of the Starbucks. Let's hear it for Jerry. Yeah, Starbucks just happened. You wrote a great story, and people on all sides of this issue Again, have been reading issue that people and talking about it. You gave the depth, so way to go. Um, but yeah, it was a. But now, do you think the fact because I didn't tell you to cover it? I'm your editor. Nope. I, I, I volunteered to cover. Do it. Do you think it's because you're an African American woman, or because you're from New Haven, and there's a New Haven people? Why was it that we covered and other people didn't? Or because we don't have to cover everything that happens in the house because that's not our mission and we use connected news junkie stories. I think all of that is true. Um, and there wasn't anything specific that that could that news junkie wasn't covering that we like needed to cover. We didn't necessarily have a local issue that I was super pressed about, which probably would have made some difference or I would have tried to cover them both. Because. Have you seen another African-American reporter who writes articles up at the Capitol? Um. Not that writes articles. I've seen a couple of TV folks, and I think there's one guy on radio who either is, I don't know if he's African-American. He sounds like he has an accent, so he might be Caribbean or um, African. Um, but, but do you think that's why? I mean, that is one of the whitest press corps. It, it is. And, and most, honestly, most, I think that's true is. of a lot of <laughs> state male too. legislative yeah. coverage, like uh, press corps. Like, I think that's just generally true. There also usually is not that many black and brown folk in people's legislatures. So there's that. But we um, do have. I mean, but we do. Using, we, white we actually math, have a, yeah. using white math, there are tons because it might not be a big percentage, but we can't even, I can't even name all the people of color at the legislature. Exactly. Um mm. But I mean, and actually, Connecticut probably is a bit more diverse than I than at least le the legislature that I covered prior. Even though that one's which is kind of interesting, you were in the South, diverse. where most half the population was black, right? Yeah, and but half the legislature was not black. But they they had a pretty in Alabama. But in Alabama, like it was white and black. There there were no Latinos, so Latino people weren't being represented by anybody who happened to be Latino. Actually. So now that's interesting. So is it fair to say in Alabama the reason? And we had one lesbian legislature. The legislature was so much whiter than the population was that if that's because of gerrymandering, what was it like for you as an African-American reporter to be covering the state capitol? So we actually had a surprising number of African-American journalists, um, I, more than I would have expected. So newsrooms weren't as gerrymandered as the legislature? Or at least, the, I don't know about their actual newsrooms. Like, so Montgomery is like 50-50 uh -huh. white and black. So we had a, a number of stations that actually had black reporters. Um, so... That that made a difference. So who they sent to the state house, Alabama Public Television had a, a black reporter. They actually had several black reporters who actually covered the legislature, which was nice. Um, when I worked at the Montgomery Advertiser, my executive editor was a black woman. Our publisher at the time was a black man. Um, our managing editor was a white woman at one point. And then we had a we had a, we had a very wow. diverse staff for that. Like that after, doesn't happen here in supposedly <laughs> um, enlightened Northeast. And that's, I think that that also is what's funny wow. about like like the assumptions that are made that Connecticut yeah. would be way more liberal than Alabama, and in certain respects it is, but in certain respects it's not. I remember that reminds wow. me, like my wife and I. This is now, oh my god, going back to nineteen mid eighties. There was a Klan trial in um, in North Carolina where some Klansmen, a Ku Klux Klansman working with an FBI informant, had shot dead some anti-racism protesters and my wife and I went to cover it for USA Today so we went to Greensboro North Carolina interviewed the police chief who was black and we were there as young know-it-all or I was my wife's not like that and saying like trying to give him a hard time why do you have such racist police down here you know that this allow this kind of thing to happen he just looked at me really nice guy he said are you from New Haven he said yeah I still be up in Bridgeport I go wow he said I didn't see too many uh black cops there I didn't <laughs> see too many people with white people <laughs> living around black people and we said woo we got uh it is more nuanced. 
That is hilarious. He did. He was great. He, very he, quiet way, you know. Very yeah, soon. very quiet way of throwing shade. That was nice. That, that, that's smooth. Know it all northern reporter. High five but, uh, that dude. State rep uh, Robin Porter had a big week. She Not did. just that. She, yeah. um, she's been championing a bill for pay equity. That would, uh, I, so, I mean, it's, it's better numbers than it used to be. 83 cents women make on the dollar, the man, but still not equal. Is that, that's all white women and white women. Because <laughs> right. you dig down, if you African drill down, African American and Latino women, yeah. it's like something like 48 cents for Latino really? women, 50 something cents for black wow. women. Mm. I didn't realize it was that low still. Yeah. And anyway, her bill says that if you, an employer cannot ask you about previous salary when you're being interviewed so that then you won't be have the assumption you're supposed to pay less. Um, it passed 142 to four in the House. I mean, we're talking Republicans, Republicans, and Republicans all mm-hmm. voted for this with Democrats like Porter. So it's looking like it's in good shape if it gets over the line. And Big victory for her yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just I actually read stories that some advocates of pay equity say these bills end up hurting more than helping mm-hmm. because the employers then make an assumption because you're a woman you made that you made less than, and that in fact you might have made more. I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of small businesses about this whole um, fifteen fifteen. What's fifteen fifteen? Is that the minimum 15, wage? The yeah, fight for fifteen, they, they wanted, which is not the, the same as this, but uh, they they wanted to make raise minimum, minimum wage fifteen dollars, fifteen dollars an hour, right? Um, and and they're saying that a lot of the small businesses will have to close because they cannot afford, and a lot of them have told me that. No, we can't afford to pay that much money to our employees. But you know, that's been a myth. Studies have not shown that to bear out. Well, it's not 100%, you know, the but they said that they've done studies small, where they have... Um, um, minority businesses. Maybe not your mainstream business, small business. Maybe not your mainstream small businesses, but we're talking about the minority-owned businesses, you know, the African-American, and I, the Latino I, I businesses. But why can't they just charge another 20 cents to give people um Because they got too much competition. But and they all I, have to I'm actually thinking about workers. something different. So... Just thinking about a business owner that I know, I think it's because minority businesses tend to be undercapitalized. Mm. They're more likely to be undercapitalized and more likely to be starting a business where possibly because of racial discrimination, they can't get the kinds of loans that white businesses But if get. everybody has to pay the same wage and that wage goes up, why does it put anybody to disadvantage compared to anyone else if they have to raise prices to get that? Because raising prices isn't enough, right? Like, so if you're undercapitalized, let's say, let's say you own a, a restaurant. And you're undercapitalized, right? So you're already charging what you're charging and paying what you can pay, right? And what people right now will pay for your services. But if you need capital to make payroll and you can't get the capital you need from out of your business, a lot of businesses are operating in the red, right? They don't have, they're not operating in the black. They're not wealthy businesses to begin with. They're just getting by if they're getting by at all. Now, I'm not making a case people should like do -hmm. this, but this is just kind of the reality of the business. What if the cost of like meat for your restaurant goes up? What is the cost of all of your supplies? I know businesses that even in this current state have to let people go because the the cost of their business, cost of their rent is high because maybe they rent from Yale. <laughs> the cost rent, of insurance. insurance. You have to have insurance pay on your employees. Uh, unemployment. You have to pay health fees yep. to it's be not, open. It, it turns out to be unrealistic to to expect these small businesses to compete, especially with the large businesses. And the large businesses won't go for the minimum wage. Right. Start, exactly. They have plenty of with, money. <laughs> with automatic counters and, you know, so. And the smaller businesses are who really are most likely hurt. to employ people. Like Harry said, 
the bigger businesses are like, we've saved all this money so we can figure out a way to innovate and lay off more people so we can keep more money, which is. So, yeah. So what they, what you need to do is when you talk about increasing the minimum wage, you also need to make an analysis of how that's going to affect not your regular business, but your smaller businesses that are barely making it. But I think the answer there is to stop discrimination against minority lenders. Like the, right Absolutely. now, the Congress is about to make it legal again to charge black people just because they're black higher interest for loans than white people. Well, I mean, they've been doing That's it. The core. Even though it's been illegal, they have been doing but it. But until last if year. If they give you a loan. If at they all. Give you, if because you get they a don't loan. Give you you get a loan. Like right now, I, 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 was, I freaked out. You know what? The loan is what? 3.5 or 4%. We have banks, banks charging 7.5 for a refinance. A bank. I call that a loan shark. Well, <laughs> but we did have a Consumer <laughs> Finance Protection Bureau whose mission and work. Aren't they about to zero out well, of the Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and the rule is being changed now, whereas they used to have guidance to to specifically go after the charging of different interest rates based on race. And that's being eliminated. Well, they're doing it. They're still doing it. Harry Jost has nothing to say on that. Or? Well, no. And also, when the Dodd-Frank bill went through, what it hurt was the small banks, the small businesses that would get those loans or give those loans. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Now, that discrimination is ridiculous, right? Not, well, like, but that's the argument they're using. It's being championed by the Republican Party right. saying this is part of our getting rid of over-regulation from Dodd-Frank. You're saying that sometimes specific regulations shouldn't be all swept along. Well, not all the regulations. You see, people's obviously. minds... See things with nuance here on Pundit Friday. Harry actually reads though. He like yeah. he like yeah. attempts to understand. That's not like like Norma said. There's there's Harry and then there's everybody. Else. And there's Pundit Friday. <laughs> like on WNHH. Spoon feed me my my thoughts. There's Pundit Friday on WNHH 103.5 FM LiveStreamNewHaven.org. You're listening to the best pundits in the media universe go over the headlines of the week. Another thing happened the Capitals week. Uh, the Connecticut news junkie Christine Stewart followed it very closely. There was an African American woman who is a lobbyist for Planned Parenthood. No lobbying while black. And she had a button that said, um, stand with black women. It's the same button that um, I think Robin Porter actually wears on the House floor. There's a state senator who's been for 22 years representing Hartford and Wethersfield, pretty large minority population. He's white. And before that, he spent another uh, 10 years as a state rep in the same district. John Fenfire. And he went up there and said, I need to stand with white men, pin. Thanks, sir. And she said, that is not a way to be talking. And, you know, even if you didn't represent people of color. <laughs> and it blew up. And uh and so uh, the um, people have just taken that Gary pin and smacked him in the head. Gary Winfield. <laughs> and then she has to lobby him. And yet she was willing to like incur his ire. And then uh, Gary Winfield. She probably should run against him if she can. <laughs> state senator and 13 organizations called, I like, oh. issued a call for outrage. When he, he issued his apology, he didn't even use her name. He's like to that woman to that or woman. that woman that, I, the was, woman. that lobbied me in the Capitol. Yeah, I'm like, sorry. I'm sorry. Her name is what again? I didn't. You didn't say it. I did. No, not you. Not oh, you, him. Oh, maybe in I did. His, no, maybe I didn't his, say it. Oh, you did. You said He did not. From Planned Parenthood. Did yeah. not use her Any name. thoughts, Harry? <laughs> no, because um, some people would say he was an idiotic thing to say, but maybe there was an overreaction to it, in your opinion? Well, it's a, it's a dumb thing to say, but what he was doing was making a point that would never land, so he shouldn't have said it. You know, so. Well, the point is sort of the Trump reaction of his voters that 
black people, why are you getting all this attention? White no, lives count too, no, and that kind of right. Thing. That's not the point. It's all the the <laughs> black lives matter, the all lives matter. It's that point that gets lost in between that you can't compare the two, but everybody does try to compare it. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, I say shout out to RVO Walker. She stood up. Go, it takes, girl. It takes mm-hmm. people who have something to lose by speaking out. Because mm-hmm. lobbyists, I mean, there was a great story in the Times about st- nationwide, all these lobbyists, both parties, um, get, that legislators would force sex on lobbyists. And lobbyists felt they had too much at stake to blow the whistle. They didn't always have sex with the people, but sometimes they did. But that they powerful people in government, both parties, would require you sleep with them or really harass you pretty bad and that you felt that you would noticed- lose your contracts. Maybe I have noticed it here. I definitely noticed that the Alabama legislature that the women dressed a particular way that they they had to be dressed to catch the eye because there are a lot of old men in legislatures. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. A lot of old men. <laughs> you know the 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 Alabama Beverage Association is dropping off alcohol to people like so. I, I'm 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 I very much believe that that's going on, and I don't believe that it's something that is particularly hidden mm-hmm. but there there are definitely women in five inch heels tight tight skirts and you're like girl it's, it's eight o'clock in the morning we, we gonna dress like that. <laughs> <laughs> not a hair out of place face beat to death like you're like girl where you where, where you going did you guys have a care at she's all she's being an esther mm-hmm. She was looking like an escort. <laughs> oh my, Keisha! Really. That was good. So I don't see it as much in Connecticut, but I I do see a couple of female lobbyists. So I was like, <sighs> but you know that's also very cultural. Do it's that, that, very though. cultural. You know how they talk about the Southern Bells, and then a lot of the Latinas. You go to they Puerto weren't Rico, wearing hoop skirts. You, oh, okay. <laughs> They weren't wearing hoop skirts and fans and drinking mint juleps. And just to be clear, you're not saying that means they're asking for it. It means no, that no. the idea is that you have to dress that way to get that your job done. That there is a culture of of using your feminine wiles even if you don't use them. Like, But like you you need to attract the eyes of some of these little lecherous old men. And maybe maybe they'll hug you a little too tight. Like, why are you hugging me anyway? This is a professional setting. Like. So and and it's and it's it's not their fault. It's the fault of the people they work for. Who's like, no, you don't have to do anything well, Harry. <laughs> to get you know, anybody I, to do anything. I, like, don't do that. I'm mm-hmm. wondering if I could comment on this, but he's like, be careful. Um, okay, maybe you should tell me, and then I, I'll be your. No, this no, no, is such a conversation. I don't, I don't judge women by their attire, but I think it's almost it's it's almost like if they're not using your whole skill set right if if you can't use your feminine wiles to if you could use it why not use it you know now it's on the man to not expect it you know and that's a different thing but if you could use your influence a a pretty smile or whatever to get in the door you should be able to use it and i think you're absolutely right harry and i and i will say that i have I have You've used in, your feminine wiles. I have used whatever whatever God given talents I have, <laughs> <laughs> whether it is my smile or the sound of my voice in a much pleasing manner than right now. If that helps me do whatever I need to do, I have done it. Esther right. or escort? <laughs> that is the question I'm Esther is Friday an escort. <laughs> at one of th- we are Vashti fans at my synagogue. 
She said no but to the I, king. But I agree with Harry in the sense that. And what does she end up with? I agree with Harry in the sense that. Her name that, in history. That what he said about men's response to it, right? right. Because men don't dress like. Let's imagine a world where women are powerful and they. So, if men have any manly wiles, like I don't, I don't know. Would they? I, I wouldn't be offended if they tried to use them on me to influence me. But long as they understand, I don't have to respond. Right. Like it's right. It, you're using. Like you can use what you got to get what you want. Players Club. <laughs> but I don't actually have to give it to you right like just because you're like putting the moves on me right well i <laughs> like mean what's that age old adage of you get more flies with honey that's right so it's, yeah so what I'm do you think that nice. means i'm gonna i might be nice if it's, it's to my advantage to be nice yes but if it's my advantage to be a whole jerk you know I've actually that should also be acceptable pe- i think that people aren't always honest about what it means to flirt like i found that you can quote unquote flirt with a person in a completely non-sexual way where it's so, so clear mm-hmm. that you're not hitting on them. You're not trying to give them the impression you're hitting on them. That you, you can make it really clear that you're not trying to be instant sex, but you're being intimate in a different way, which is you're having fun and you're talking about personally and you're making jokes. But that I think that people pretend that, that it doesn't happen. That it doesn't happen when you're I think where people get, go wrong happen. are the people who are very clear that they're flirting. And then the person who they're flirting with is very clear that they're not receiving. Mm-hmm. Or, and we've had probably this discussion a thousand times, where the power dynamics exist. Where it's your boss who's flirting with you and you're like, this is weird. Like, and you're, if, even if you can't say, look, man, back off. I'm not, whatever this is, stop. Um, but if this person is trying to avoid you and like the fact that you don't get it, that you keep advancing the issue that's where things get wrong. Mm-hmm. So things didn't go right for Brian Anderson. He's a guy who's been involved in New Haven stuff for a long time. Mm-hmm. He now is in Milford, used to run the housing authority. And he was going to take on Rosa DeLauro from the left. Rosa DeLauro is our Congresswoman. She's even um, beloved by Bernie Sanders or the icon of the left for her positions. But Brian Anderson was speaking for a lot of Bernie type people when he said she's been in, she's a good Congresswoman. She's been in a long time, 28 years. She's won a free election. And he said, you know what? I want to push her harder on universal health care. So Rose is for it, but she didn't go for a single payer bill. She didn't think that was going to be passed. She thought it would get there more incrementally. He said, we got to get people out of Afghanistan right now. She's been against wars there, but again, she's more of like, let's see what we can get now. And he was, he was hoping to challenge her. And he started a year early before the election. He got nowhere, like nowhere. And um, he dropped out this week. Uh, now he's, and uh, any thoughts on that? Rose is looking like a shoe in now to be there 30 years. I mean, I I think first of all, stop running on against people saying I think they've been in there too long. Don't let that be your message. Mm-hmm. Seriously, mm-hmm. and uh, bring something to the table. Because some he? people say being there longer, I get more done. Some people say being there longer, you're out of touch. Like Rosa would say, Rosa is a very influential legislator. She was pretty much from the beginning because she knew Washington, but definitely got more influential as she had more years, more seniority. I mean, I think people, I think people get get it twisted about this idea of of um politics and how long people ought to be in politics and this this idea of i i I, i'm not a politician they're a career politician i I mean it it works both ways we want we want someone to be influential we want her to be able to make moves on behalf of our state you don't get that when you just get there day one now you're going to see that issue come up on the west side of town if daryl brackeen and all their young man I guess for people, I mean, consider him young. He might be in his 30s. And he's running, um, he's at least 
starting to run. We'll see if it continues. A Democratic primary challenge to State Rep. Pat Dillon, who has been in her job since the 1984 election. Mm -hmm. 34 years. Now, some people feel that Pat actually knows how things work better than I was ever. She does. The woman is able to get budget money when Other nobody's supposed to be getting budget that, money. <laughs> you know, that's a long time for one person to be in. And, uh, you know, the demographics have partly changed in the neighborhood. Any thoughts? Is that is this still how you feel about that race? No, perhaps? I mean, I, I feel like if people, listen. It's always good to run. This is It's, it's always, always good, good to run. run. It's, Choices. And, and, and you can challenge. And, and if you people mobilize better. people who get behind you and want to see you do it, then do it. And you beat. You know, if you get beat, you get beat. If you win, you win. You know, I, I don't think however long somebody should be in should be your sole reason for running. And I think we're always talking about an ideal and a reality, right? The ideal would be that a career legislator would, would not necessarily handpick somebody, but like somebody groom who's someone. interested, somebody from the same party would yes, groom somebody. Groom, groom, someone. groom somebody and say, look, I'm a retire. Don't lie about it, but I'm a retire yeah. in another two terms. Mm -hmm. Then they never do. Exactly. And that's the, that's the reality is that people who run and say, I'm not going to be a career politician. I'm different. I'm not a career politician. And then they go off to be a career politician for the exact reason that Babs said, which is that you gain influence by seniority. Just like the Democrats. who, were And that means something when you're out of power. The 1974. That means something place. when you're out of power. Yeah. So if you're, you know, a long term legislator, even even when it, the whatever swings as far left or right that you're like, yo, I don't even know where the center is anymore, but you have relationships with people. Like it's amazing the kinds of relationships that people had during the civil rights movement where they're like, look, you know, I can't get out front and actually do this, but this is what I can do behind the scenes. You know, I think it also depends on the support that you still have with your constituents because your job as a legislator is to also make sure that you're going to be reelected by your constituent. Absolutely. And that's the story with um, Pat Dillon. They have good constituent support, and so does Rosa DeLauro, which is the big difference with Crisco. Crisco got beat by a Republican, by Logan. Why? He was, he had, he was already Joe too Crisco, many years. Joe Crisco. Senator. He had been there too many years. He was older. Mm -hmm. And we have a young, you know, Population that was ready for change. Uh, yeah. And, and, and an African-American. Logan, Logan was a dynamic candidate. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know. Pulitzer Prize. Mm -hmm. New Haven New had Haven three winners of the Pulitzer Prize. James Foreman, who wrote a book that blew a me away. Book. Locking yeah. up our own. Very about, good book. About the complex. We could talk about another show. I know. I haven't read it yet, so. Oh, you, uh, oh my gosh. You have to read it. Oh, I know. Damn. I have so, so many books good. I have to read. Seven minutes. Oh, so good. That book goes by so I, fast, even though it's nonfiction. <laughs> Detail it gets so into good. about how black mm. ministers and congressmen actually create. I mean, uh, local and it has a good conversation about the, the gun minimums. debate and why there are black people who are very much supporters of gun ownership because that was the only difference between keeping the Klansmen out your yard and. But also just, how like the oh, war so good. on it's drugs so and locking up people, he said, started in part with black ministers and legislators who didn't see the repercussions, but he saw them firsthand. And, and, I, and, I and it has I mean, the marijuana debate in there. Oh, and how he so watched layered. it as a public defender was really amazing. And also, we should just mention Jake Halpern mm -hmm. and Michael Sloan. They did that wonderful graphic novel-style cartoon series about a New Haven a Syrian. family, Syrian refugee mm -hmm. resettlement in the time. Yes. So, way to go. Pulitzer Prize winners in New Haven. We're Yay! proud of you. Great and I'm proud city of in the America. best Joe right. Ugly has shown up with a note hey, from a teacher. You are not he Mark Tardy, sir. Sweater. We missed you, even though it was a professor -ish th episode today. Mm -hmm. And thank you for joining us today on uh, Dateline New Haven for Pundit Friday. 
Ba- so, so Joe is Mark present. <laughs> Babs rolls Ivy. Hey, you gotta look. You have to do I'm detention with Harry though. <laughs> Marquisha Ricks, Norma Rodriguez Reyes, <laughs> Harry Dross, and yes, Joe <laughs> Ugly, the recognized ringleader of Risque Rapporteur, Eighth Wonder of the World, and Wizard of Oz guy Waggery, all making it happen. Thank you for joining us. We're gonna take it out with the Afro Semitic Experience performing. I wish I knew how it feel to be free from the group CD of Plea for Peace. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book it and fly free with us all weekend long at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. (laughs) 